Cars, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to the Drafting the Circuits radio program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk over this past week in racing and preview next week. Joining me in the studio tonight is my good friend Gray Warren, uh, Seth Eggert, and Richard Uden. Fellas, how are we doing tonight? Terrific. Doing good. Good, thank you. All right, great to have you all here. I, again, like I always say, it's the highlight of my week when I get to talk to you all. But, uh, so let's knock out the headlines real quick. Big winners of the week, uh, Kyle Busch down in Bristol and Takuma Sato down in uh, Barber Motorsports Park. So uh, pretty good re- weekend of racing. Um, let's start with Bristol. Um, we had a, uh, a, a – I think it was a better Bristol race than we've seen recently. Um, Kyle Busch came back from uh, some adversity to eventually take that win. I believe that's his eighth win at Bristol overall. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So good on him. So uh, Gray, Seth, let's uh, let's talk about Bristol. Well, they put the traction compound back down again, as they have been for the past three or four years. But this time, they only did it in a about four wide strip in the turns. And they used what they called a 50-50 solution. And it actually stayed throughout the entire race. Uh, In the past, it's worn off. And the racing, as it wore off, got worse. And this time, you actually had multiple grooves. You had Kyle Busch primarily on the bottom. Kurt Busch, who almost ran his brother down in the final laps after starting 27th of running the high groove. You had uh, Chase Elliott starting from the pole, leading about the first 40 or so laps before the accordion effect sent him spinning around. And he ran 459 laps without power steering at Bristol. Yeah, and, that, and that's, that, that in itself is not impressive, not unprecedented, but, but still is quite a, quite a job there to wrestle a car for, for that many laps at, uh, at Bristol without power steering. And he finished on the lead lap somehow, too. Uh, You had a couple of uh, accordion-like incidents throughout the race. Uh, Blaney, Newman, and Chase, for example. You had, uh, at the beginning of the race, when, I believe, Corey LaJoy spun, or sorry, it was Matt Tift who spun, Corey LaJoy ran into Chase Elliott. It was just an odd race, especially at the beginning. Ty Dillon won the first stage, which if anyone had Ty Dillon winning a stage 
at a non-super speedway track, please go and buy a lottery ticket. Uh, that was just uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> well, there. you know, that's a that's a deal where everybody everybody comes to pit road before the end of the stage, so they don't have to come back and and they get, actually gain track position when uh, when the green flag flies after the stage. So but, yeah, uh, and he and Boyer stayed out and raced for the stage win. Yeah, but the fact that he was able to hold Boyer off was actually impressive, especially for that team. Uh, otherwise, there was a couple of fun moments throughout the race and post-race. Uh, you had a interesting joking exchange between both Ryan Newman and Ryan Blaney after the race. Uh, Blaney had put Newman into the wall trying to defend for position, and Newman came over joking with him and saying, if you're going to listen to your spotter, why are you ignoring your mirror? That is funny. (laughs) (laughs) And the only downside to the race, uh, the very end, the last green flag run, uh, we actually got shorted two laps because Brad Keselowski, uh, somewhere in the team communication, uh, never got the message of where he was supposed to line back up. And NASCAR uh, extended the caution by two laps trying to get him into position. And they ended up black flagging him for ignoring NASCAR directives. Yeah, that, that's that was... certainly interesting. Yeah, but yeah, we've seen that before in the past where somebody's just kind of not sure where to line up and whatnot. But yeah, it, it's a shame that it took two laps off the race. But you know, it, it was a it was a very good, very highly competitive race. Uh, you know, there were cars that were coming and going. Some cars were were better on the long run. Some cars better on the short run. You had Ryan Blaney. Uh, I believe he ended up leading the most laps. His his car was really good. You had different guys run run up near the front uh, at various times. Clint Boyer had a really good car. Uh, looked looked poised to pick up his first win of the season at one time before he, he had some, uh, some issues, but, uh, and then of course, what do you say about Kyle Busch? I mean, gets, gets spun on the first lap. Uh, cars basically, uh, has some cosmetic damage. It really didn't, didn't, didn't hurt it too bad. The deck lid was on straight and the spoiler was in its proper position. So he was able to, uh, soldier on and, and, and ends up, ends up winning the race. Uh, and good, Good smart move at the end of the end of the race. He chose not to come down pit road uh, and was able to hold off uh, uh, hold off the guys for about what the final fifteen laps of the race. And uh, you know, just uh, another tremendous performance by the guy. I mean, you know, I think we're you know we're treated each week that we watch this guy because he is uh, he is definitely like Daryl Waltrip said. Uh, he is the show. He puts on a show every week, you know, and you get your money's worth. You love him or hate him. The guy gets in that race car and he gives it, he gives it a hundred percent. And before we get to DW who announced, uh, this is his final season calling races. Uh, just want to mention, uh, speaking of the first lap, Eric Almarola, he had contact with William Byron ended up going into the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came down the pit road and, as he left his pit box, he left with equipment. The jack was still underneath the car. The team, instead of having him come all the way back around, had him go to the garage area. He was still on the damaged vehicle policy, and once he entered the garage, he was out of the race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Granted, they argued with NASCAR saying it was a mechanical issue because of the jack, 
Meanwhile, they also told uh, reporters at the track that they had enough steering damage that they would not have been able to complete a lap. Yeah. Uh, so what's yeah. the what's the clear the clear cut definition of the rule? I mean, if, if you go to the garage, are you done? If you're involved in an accident where you hit the wall or you hit another car and you go to the garage without getting a green flag lap at minimum speed, then you're out. If you go to the garage for a mechanical issue, like Ricky Stenhouse did, you can come back. Yeah. And then if you go to pit road to fix, to repair damage, you're under a clock. And if you can't repair the damage in, in, in said uh, time, which I believe uh, is six minutes. Like, yeah, something like that, you have to retire the car as well. So, All right. So basically, um, there are. Argue- their argument was that it was a mechanical issue, although mm-hmm. it can kind of be seen differently. Well, because it was more of a yeah. an, an equipment issue or, or a you know boneheaded uh, move on pit road. It it was it, more uh, the boneheaded move on pit road led to them going to the garage instead of fixing yeah. it on pit road. Well, otherwise, they they what you're gonna have anyway. is yeah. otherwise what you're gonna have is every time when you get damaged, they're gonna drop the car for the jack and break something so they can take it to the garage to fix it. Um, And and one other point on the damage clock there is you have six minutes to repair the car, but that's a cumulative six minutes. So if you're under caution, you want to avoid going a lap down, you can, you know, do 30 seconds of repair, go back out, come around again, do 30 seconds of repair. And it resets once... Yeah, and also that six minutes resets once you get back up to a predetermined speed that nascar declares at the start of the race and you cannot add sheet metal to the car at any track other than daytona and talladega the only reason why they allow you to add sheet metal to the car those two tracks is because of sheer speed if you spin uh, to keep the car on the ground yeah it's more of a yeah, well, that, yeah that makes sense yeah yeah but it was I, I thought it was a good race very disappointed in the in the crowd that was there. It was shocking to see um, uh, the state the, the turns weren't even open on either end of the track and sparsely, uh, you know, on both the front stretch and back stretch. And it, that was really uh, somewhat uh, uh, concerning because, you know, it wasn't too many years ago that was track was the hottest ticket in the sport and hard to hard to get in if you, uh, you know, was tough to get, but uh, you know, I think there's more more at work here than uh, people being just dissatisfied with NASCAR because uh, if they didn't like that show, they don't they don't like racing. I, I, that's that's it in a nutshell. But I think basically there was other talk during the course of the weekend. Uh, I think uh, you had several drivers uh, expressing their displeasure at some of the. Uh, hotels. Uh, uh, Clint Boyer uh, yeah, was Clint one Boyer. of the most vocal. Uh, yeah. Jeb Burton as well. Yeah, and, and, and forcing their displeasure at the uh, at the hotels price price gouging uh, on on hotels. Well, and go ahead. Uh, that is a factor, regardless. I mean, whether or not NASCAR can do anything about it. In the past, uh, from my, to my knowledge, NASCAR and the tracks have tried to work with the hotels. Yeah. But it, uh, yeah, it's, but it's just uh, a small it's just a small portion of it because by and large a lot of f- fans come up come the day of they drive up but when you look at you know the price of fuel to to, to go and then you've got uh, parking cost uh, concession cost um, and ticket cost 
it, it you know it, it it's cha-ching cha-ching everything uh, you know uh it gradually builds and uh you know let's face it fans fans don't have the disposable income that they once had and I, i'm not going to say that's the whole picture but that's a by and large that's that's a big big part that we're seeing at not only bristol but a lot of other tracks and, oh yeah, um, there's there's definitely a lot of other tracks with a lot of empty seats, and and I, I really would like to have a conversation about the future of the schedule. Okay, and and we were talking about it a little bit where you know some of the maybe some of these tracks don't need two dates, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, with with the I don't want to say the fan interest is waning, but the 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 amount of fans are definitely not coming well, to the track. Is it maybe a smarter move to give everybody one race and just, you know, bank on well, that, uh, uh, that well, one? Well, you go yes, back. Here's a co- sorry. Go ahead. Well, you go back to, to, uh, to the thing where the fans, you know, it's tough. The fans have to choose. They can't go to, you know, economically, they can't go to as many races as they do. So a lot of your fans now at Bristol they may they may skip the spring race because typically the spring race weather comes into play and has come into play uh, the last several years is cooler. You can have some some wet weather things like that. Um, so they choose to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna put all our eggs in the in the fall race and they'll go which to the is, night which race. is which is the night race which right is and and, and, I, and I, right and I bet you we will see a a, a huge contrast between the crowds at the spring race and the uh, the fall race. I'm sure Bristol will rebound, you know, in the spectator department for that for that spring race. Right, but, but, um, but my point is, do we need to maybe just have one race? No. Nah, well, it, it depends on the track. Yeah, it depends, it depends on, on the track. track. So here's, can I just, uh, can I raise yeah, a point ahead, very quickly on this one? Sorry. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that a lot of these tracks do all of their – you know, market research and analysis of people that come through the gate and all this sort of stuff. I wonder what percentage of people double dip throughout the season. You know, if you get 20,000 people at, let's say, the Dover Spring Race and then 20,000 people at the Dover Fall Race or however the schedule falls there, what, you know, is it 20,000 unique people? So if you only have one race, are you suddenly going to get 40,000 there? Or is it, you know, 15 of those 20,000 go to both races. Uh, You know, maybe that's what's happened here. Maybe these, you know, the tracks have gone out and done their analysis and said, well, hey, if you give it, if you take us down to one race, we're not going to suddenly get the same amount of money coming in as having two. So they need to have two to to make it justifiable. Or or they need to diversify. I mean, let's look at Charlotte, for example. Sure. A, they made their fall race unique with the Roval. But on top of that, they have a music festival. They have the auto fair. They have uh, the uh, end of year uh, Christmas, uh, essentially party that they do. I mean, they, they have, a, so they have much... a Christmas light show. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, uh, but they do so much that isn't purely just racing. I mean, during the summer, uh, every Tuesday night they have the summer shootout series, and on top of that, they do other stuff as well. Uh, believe this year they're going to have uh, the USAC quarter midgets run 
uh, shorter version of the role for one even Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Talking about having IMSA come and run the uh, role. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and, and and that's that's you know using the facility 365 days a year, and that's how it turns money over. Some 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 tracks are better suited to do that. Charlotte is one of them. Another track that's well suited is Sonoma. Sonoma uh, has has a lot of events. At their racetrack, you don't obviously here on the East Coast, we don't hear about a lot of them, but I have friends that, that are in management at that track, and they have events out there all year long with festivals and shows and things like that. And that, same with that, Vegas. And, yeah, that continue. Some tracks, when you get up in the Northeast, obviously with weather and things like that, they, they aren't able to do the same thing. But then again, too, you, you, you get to a point of, you know, things become oversaturated. And this has been the argument for years of why Rockingham is no longer on the schedule because it was less than 60 miles as the crow flies from Darlington. And you had four, you had four races a year within that 60 mile or so radius. And people that came in, drove in for that, they had, you know, as, as the economy changed, people had to start making choices. I know when I in my younger days back in the back in the when I was in high school and in college we went to all four every year tickets tickets weren't you know to where the point where you couldn't where you couldn't uh, afford them so we went to both Rockingham races every year we went to both Darlington races every year probably both Martinsville races every year and and, and the like but nowadays you know it's 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 a little bit different a little bit more financial uh, commitment to do all these. And, and um, you know, I think, too, to your point, Frank, of talking about taking races from some of these facilities, some of them can't survive without the two without the two shows. But obviously, how much longer are they going to survive with with dwindling with it dwindling the way it is? So basically, you're going to have to kind of retool a little bit and look at, OK, let's let's uh, let's pull back a little bit and, and make this a. a uh, I'm, I, uh, oddity is not the word I'm looking for, but make it make it more of a, a, a unique a, unique event rather yeah, than having yeah, two, yeah, two yeah, make, or, make or, it I mean, unique, look yeah. at uh, Pocono next year doing a double header. Right, right. So I th- you know, and that's just societal changes too. You know, we can't. You know, the the, the demographic in racing is not the same as it was uh, in the in the '60s and '70s and '80s and even the '90s. It's changing. And the sports got to has got to change with that demographic to a degree, and that's what we're going to probably see with the schedule changes and and some of the other things coming. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I was having a conversation with some friends the other day, and we were actually we were talking about rock music concerts, right? And how you know, it seems like just in general, the price of entertainment, mm-hmm. whether it be going to a baseball game going to a NASCAR race 
or, or going to uh, see your favorite rock band in concert has like the the prices have skyrocketed yeah. compared to the you know level of inflation. Right. I mean, when I when, when I used to go to a rock concert, it was nine dollars and fifty cents sure. to sit in the uppers, twelve bucks to sit on the floor. Now, if you if you can get a concert ticket that's less than two hundred dollars. Hey, you know, <laughs> you're hey. doing well. So, right. uh, but the same thing with racing. But then, like, you know, to your point, Seth, with the hotels. I mean, you had Seth uh, shared with the rest of us here a hotel bill from Bristol for the weekend from was, uh, last year. Yeah. Eleven hundred dollars. Yeah. Eleven hundred dollars. Yeah. That's for, how much it cost me to come to see, yeah. uh, Frank, last year. To, to your point about the rock concerts, I have a thing today. The Eagles are going to be at, uh, I think, the MGM Grand in Vegas later this month or next month. Tickets start at 180. Start at 180. You have to sit sit in the very back or in the very top. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, and that's, but, I, but I but we digress here. But I do want to just make the point that I think NASCAR has done the right thing with the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think some of what drove folks away from Bristol was after they re you know, configured the track and whatnot, the show was not as good as it used to be. It did hurt the competition. Bristol used to be be an incredible race, uh, but I, but I think what they, what they showed us this weekend um, is a a good step in the right direction to get fans back in the stands there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And we've seen, I tell you what, we've seen good races all year long. I think we, I think we've seen some really good competition at, at the races so overall so far this year. I think basically NASCAR's just got to stay the course and, and and keep you know letting okay you know fans look at it and say okay yeah this this is a this is a good show and it's going to spread you know by word of mouth and you, and you know let's face it haters are going to hate you know and and, and that's that's always going to be the case but they they just got to keep staying the course and 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 keep. Uh, Keep putting on a good, uh, trying to put on the best show they can on Sundays. Absolutely. So now, Seth, uh, I want to backtrack to something you mentioned earlier. Daryl Waltrip, who's been in the broadcast booth for 19 years now, has announced that he's going to step away after after Fox wraps up their midseason before they turn the coverage yeah. over to NBC. <clears throat> um, so, Daryl Waltrip. Yeah, he will be retiring after the Sonoma race this year. Um, he doesn't. He might come back as say an analyst on Race Hub, or might do a little radio or something along those lines. He he hasn't completely decided what he's going to do after retiring from being the broadcaster. That being said, um, in recent years, he's become somewhat of a. Uh, divisive figure as far as a broadcaster is concerned there are fans that like him there are fans that don't like him there's i'll be honest there's been moments where i've questioned certain things uh, privately with you guys but uh the point is uh it's rumblings about this started earlier this season and it was his announcement to make and uh let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you feel like he's, you know, and we all we've all heard about some of the negative uh, press that uh, he's gotten. There's a couple, been a couple of uh, 
noted uh, articles out on him. Which is well. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I want, I want to discuss you, that very do, shortly. Do you, yeah. Do you think? Do you think he he's being pushed out? No. No, uh, he originally wanted to retire in 2017, mm-hmm. and he, when he realized the way they were reconfiguring the booth uh, to be himself, Jeff Gordon, and Mike Joy, because they were moving Larry Mack out of the booth, he did not want Mike Joy to have to be up there and train two new people at the same time. So he stayed on essentially to help train Jeff Gordon. Mm-hmm. So now, now my whole issue, Seth, and I know you, you and I are, are of like mind with this, right? Um, our friend Jenna Fryer, who writes for the Associated Press, um, she decided to after he announced his retirement, right? Before. She, I guess it was before, right? Yeah. So she actually beat him to the punch, but she wrote a rather scathing kind of article that I think her headline was like, Oh, Darrell Waltrip leaving. It's about time. Right. And then she just used a lot of kind of really derogatory language to talk about her and, you know, Daryl and Mike joy with their, their Southern guffaws and, and, you know, slap on the back old time stories. And I, I just thought it was very, Kind of demeaning on her part, and but you know Jennifer manages to stick her foot in her mouth yeah. at least once a year. Uh, but I, I, I my, personally, I, I felt it was like in really bad taste because Waltrip he's walking he's, away, out of, walking he's away. He's given he's term. given back so much more to this exactly sport. exactly. I, right. He's given I so will, much to the sport. He, he didn't deserve that. I, I, I will say this. Granted, like I said. There's been some things that I've questioned privately with you guys. I can see certain things in private. I can't see uh, writing an article like that. Sure. The the main thing DW was upset about, and he said this uh, to Claire B. Lang on SiriusX and NASCAR, was that he was upset that Jeff Fryer never reached out to him, Mm -hmm. never reached out to Mike Joy, never asked them their opinion, just went along with that article. And he originally had planned uh, at the end of the Sonoma race to say that he had a little bit more of breaking news and that that was his last race. Yeah. So she stole his thunder. Yeah. And again, feels like it got the announcement got rushed, not that he's getting rushed. But if you if you sit there and you read social media, uh, uh, the the social media sites of there are literally hundreds of them that that deal with NASCAR and the, and, and the fans get on and and spout their opinions on everything in the sport. You're going to have a faction that likes, like, like Seth said, a faction that likes Daryl, a faction that doesn't like him. But not only is it Daryl, there are people that don't like Jeff Gordon, that people don't like Mike Joy. Same thing in the, in the, uh, NBC in the, booth. In the NBC booth, people there's a ton of people that don't like Steve Latart. I mean, it goes on. You're not gonna. You're not going yeah, to. Yeah, guys, there's people that probably don't like us. Right. <laughs> you <laughs> know what I'm saying? Right. But you know, Daryl's a lifelong racer, and he's given so much back to the sport. He's a hall of well-deserved Hall of Famer, three-time champion, eighty-some victories. You know, he's got nothing. You know, he's done it all. And and he he can he can sit back and look at his career, both of his careers, with a lot of pride. 
And, uh, you know, I, I like, I like Daryl. Uh, some of the things I didn't like the, you know, the boogity, boogity, boogity thing got old with me a little bit, but Daryl offered a lot of insight during the race about things that people would just shut up and listen to him sometimes, but if people, you know, every time, but people just get too carried away with, with all the other stuff that, that goes on. And Hey, that's, uh, that, you know, each fan, they buy the cable subscription or buy the tickets or whatever, or tune in on TV. They have the right to do whatever they want. I'm, I'm not, you know, but uh, it, it's a shame. I, I do feel somewhat that he's not going out all together on his own terms. I, I, I feel that way because of this, this what's, what's transpired in the last six weeks. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. He should. Everyone should just thank him for his contributions to the sport. Absolutely. And, and yeah. wish him, wish him well on the next, you know, chapter of his life. So, but, but I digress. So, um, Seth, do we have um, Xfinity truck racing? We had the Xfinity Series racing. It was the first Dash for Cash race of the year. Uh, it was Justin Allgaier's race to lose and a Bell's race to win, right? And a sour engine gave the the race to Christopher Bell and a $100,000 bonus. Uh, although there was a rather interesting moment, uh, Tyler Reddick in the first stage was leading, and the spotter uh, told him the stage ended one lap too soon, giving the stage win to Justin Allgaier. Yeah. That's, and that's- yeah, that guy had a talk at two back at the shop. And that's not totally unprecedented either in that, you know, well, who was it, Seth? Mark Martin lost a race Mark up Martin. there. Yeah, because uh, him and, you know, they, he was coming back to uh, coming back to the white and thought it was the checker. And uh, Mark Martin lost uh, lost. A, I uh, believe it's... David Green ended up winning that yeah, race. Lost yes, I, re- I remember that one. Yeah, that was crazy. Several, several years ago, too. So it's not, like I said, it's not totally unprecedented. And also, uh, it also happened... At Daytona, uh, the same time Richard Petty won his uh, 200th race, he raced Cale Yarborough back to, the caution, back to the caution flag instead of the checkered flag, and Cale came to pit road. And lost, than, I think, one position in, yeah, lost, as lost, a result. Yeah, lost one position. That's right, exactly. He came to pit road thinking that they were racing back to the checker instead of the they were actually racing back to the white and, and the yellow. And one other thing I do want to mention, uh, Harrison Burton, making his Xfinity debut, finished 10th. Uh, it's the first time since 1986 that a driver making their Xfinity debut at Bristol earned a top 10 finish. Okay. That's pretty good. Right. He's, yeah, he's, so that's I, – I really like Harrison Burton a ton. I, I think the kid's got a lot of potential, and I, I wish him well. I mean, that whole family, you know, between Ward and Jeff mm-hmm. – those guys were and and Gray, you've worked with Ward. Yep, fact, I've worked with I've Sab- worked with I've worked with Ward and Jeff. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love both those guys. You know, Sab- yeah, I watched I watched Jeb I watched yeah. Jeb grow up. So yeah, <laughs> you know, and and Jeb grew up literally before our eyes when 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 Ward drove for us, and just like Ryan Blaney grew up before our eyes when when his dad. Uh, uh, Dave drove for us at Bill Davis, so yeah, you know it's it's a it's been fun to watching those kids develop, you know, as they've come along, and, and of course, obviously they're all, they're all second generation drivers, and 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 again, I wish them well and, and wish them a lot of success. All right, so we're off to 
Richmond, Richmond. next, correct? Rich, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. So, uh, do we want to make some picks for Richmond? Yeah, y'all go, go first. I'll... Uh, we, well, we haven't seen a Chevy win yet this year, so maybe I'll say Chase Elliott gets the first uh, Chevy win of the year. That's not a bad pick. Richard, who do you think? Hmm. I mean, you can't really look past Carl Bush, can you? I mean, he's no. just... Yeah. You can't. Or the Penske cars. They've been strong. Yeah. Week in, week I'm going to tell you, you know, uh, I'll go ahead and make mine. I, I'm going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw, since since, since uh, Richard likes Kyle, I'm going to throw Clint Boyer in the mix because Clint had a really good run going at Bristol and uh, ran decent at Martinsville too. So I'm going to say he's on the verge of picking up a picking up another short track win. And while Richard is still deciding, uh, it's a short track. He still hasn't won there. Truex. <laughs> yeah, Seb, Seb, I tried that last week. It didn't work for me either. So. But uh, I do say, though, uh, to your comment, Frank, that Chevy hasn't won yet this year. Uh, the last time Chevy went nine straight races without a win was 1992, I believe. Wow. You know, and i tell you something. They're starting to show... Some 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 speed, you know. The Hendrick camp has been really good at qualifying uh, the last couple of weeks. The RCR cars have qualified well, but the thing about it is they 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 have found speed for qualifying, but they've yet to be able to sustain it in the race. And basically, you know, they've they've fallen off uh, well, early. Except for Texas, same way. Well, they've fallen off early and often, and and I think that's still part of the program they've got to work on to 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 be able to sustain that speed you know uh further into the race so we'll see what happens but yeah it's encouraging to see them at least uh you know qualifying well so uh and and real quick note speaking of qualifying well uh the last time hendrick swept the front row in back-to-back races 1996 well okay all right all right right, frank who you like who you like uh, uh, Chase, Chase Elliott. Elliott. I already picked Chase, Chase Elliott, didn't Chase I? Chase Elliott. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't I know if I like him or not. I've not met the dude. It ought to be. It seemed like a pleasant guy. Yeah. It ought to be a. It ought to be a pretty competitive race. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, somebody wants to. They want to get in and break up the. Uh, uh, the Penske Gibbs juggernaut that's that's going on right now, and I think probably you know maybe maybe Boyer's you know, got a chance, got a chance, but when you look at Kyle Busch and Joey Logano, you know, they're pretty strong at Richmond too. And you throw in Keselowski too, it's, it's, and Denny Hamlin, you know, it's, it's hard to bet against, you know, bet against those guys. Yeah. And it's really weird that we're this deep in the season and Kevin Harvick hasn't won a race either. Yep. Yep. Sure yeah. is. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about the big, you know, all we talked about last year was the big three and the big three dominated, uh, the sport really for for the for the you know regular season at least and uh, you know they haven't uh, other than Kyle uh, he's the big big one the other two uh, principals in that have uh, haven't um, struck pay dirt yet absolutely yeah so, uh, so now Richard are, are you settled on Kyle Bush I am yep. Okay, all right, very good then. So let's talk about the IndyCar race. The IndyCars were down in uh, Barber Motorsports Park, which is a beautiful racetrack in uh, outside of Birmingham, Alabama. 
Um, it's always one of my favorite races. And and Richard, um, yep. our friend Kumasato won oh, that yes. thing. He, um, he, you know, the qualifying was so unpredictable. You know, all the practice sessions were everyone was saying, "Oh, Penske is sandbagging." Nope. You know, <laughs> they, 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 you know, when it comes to qualifying, you'll see, you know, Will, Will Power, Simon, Joseph, all up front. No, they the Penske's were stymied in qualifying, which was weird. And then it looked like Hinchcliffe uh, was a lock for the pole until that last qualifying session where the the Ray Hall cars, you know, came out of nowhere. The Ray Hall Letterman team took the front row. Uh, the last time Ray Hall Letterman took the front row was 2005, I believe. There you go. Yep. So they just kind of you know, came out of nowhere, and then too much. I mean, dominating, yeah. dominating performance too by Sato. No, yeah. I mean, except for a couple of to go. Whew. Except for one, one little uh, Takuma call it a little heart attack moment. <laughs> you know, yeah. he, he was afraid he threw it away, but uh, solid drive for Takuma. And I tell yeah. you, this guy just gets better with age, doesn't he, Richard? Now, he you, or you worked with Takuma, and um, I, I think that he was just phenomenal uh, on this day. Oh, I mean, you know, when you hear teams and and drivers say, you know, we found something in the setup. I mean, you know, this weekend was a perfect example for uh, the, for the team there. You know, to, to come out and dominate qualifying and, and to a greater extent be dominating the race with Takuma and Graham Rahal, they're driving away from guys like Scott Dixon and Sebastian Bourdais, um, you know, was very, very, very impressive. Um, and there was no real challenge. Nobody could really get close. You know, they weren't playing a fuel mileage game. They weren't hammering the push to pass early on to build that gap. You know, they were just driving solid. And, you know, it was, it was funny listening to Takuma post-race. You know, he said that's... <laughs> the first time he's dominated a race in 20 years, probably since he was doing, you know, Formula 3 back in Europe. And it, it genuinely was, you know, they, they dominated that race. And I think, and you'll probably correct me if I'm wrong here, you look at the statistics now and he's won, is it two of the last five races mm-hmm. with Went Portland at the back yeah, of yeah, the yeah, last going, year? Going, and then, going to last year, yeah. He's, yeah. I think he's won, yeah, two of the last, two of the last five, yeah. I did pick him as my surprise championship winner for the season. So who knows? Well, right, you know, I mean, if they go right out there, there and he's right there near the top of the points, yeah. I think he's third at the moment, isn't he? But you know, he goes out there. Uh, I don't know where they are next, but um, oh, they're at uh, Long Beach this weekend. Long Beach this weekend, Absolutely. yeah. Which he's, I mean, he's won there. He's he won knows there. his way around. So you know, first, if he goes yeah. out there and they qualify in the, the fast six again, and you know, can have a solid result and you know, get a top three or whatever, and they do that two or three more times. Then you've really got to put him in the in a breath as a championship contender, um, and I think it's, you know, I, I think it's good to mix it up a little bit, you know, to because the, the Pensy domination and the Ganassi domination in the last few years is, is is great for the guys there because they put a huge amount of work in. But uh, I know that uh, the team there is invested in the engineering staff and invested in manpower there, and it's starting to pay off. So. You know, good luck to him. And he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet as well in, in you know, inside a race race team. So good luck to him. You know, yeah, really and, I, to him. and one of the things I thought was really impressive about his drive is, is the last 20 laps of the race. He gapped uh, Dixon by just under two seconds. Yeah. And he kept it. He kept it at, one, I mean, lap after lap when they crossed the line, he was one and three quarter seconds ahead. And that, that, that margin stayed within 
a, a few one hundredths that whole twenty laps. You'd look until he had his little off track thing. But I mean, yeah. he would stay. He would stay one point seven eight, one point seven nine, one point six, and every lap it it didn't change. I mean, that was just being smooth and taking care of the car. And and not you know like I said I man I don't know how many push to passes he had at the end of the race I'm sure he had some in his pocket in case oh, yeah. he in case he'd have needed them for a late race restart or whatnot but I thought you know and of course what do you say about Dixon Dixon finishes second for what the sixth time sixth time yeah yeah you know so you, so uh, yeah I mean if you look at that um, you look at that you know you, you touched on something there great you know the way he he dominated. Not just in outright pace, but the consistency and the monotonous, mm-hmm. you know, pace. I mean, that demoralizes your opposition pretty quickly. Yeah, because but you, you, you look and you, you can't see, do anything about it. Right. He's, he keeps that same distance from you. And yeah. It's almost like he's toying with you, you know, oh, to yeah. a degree. He knows he's got the car and he's not going to overextend it to to do it. And you, you're driving your ass off and you just, you can't mm-hmm. make inroads into the margin. Yeah. And I thought that was very impressive because I, I, I remarked several times during, during the races to, to the buddies and I watching the race and I said, look at that gap. I mean, it's the, yeah. it's within a few, it's within a few hundredths of a second, every lap he, he maintains that margin. So, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't looking at his overall lap times, but you know, his overall lap times had to be the same, you know, but you look at it, and I think that goes back a little bit to his upbringing in some of the European, you know, formula. And you know, to get to Formula One like he did in the early two thousands, yeah, you need to be quick. But mm. there's so many other disciplines that you need, and you know, that's what the team owners look for in, in the, the technical, higher categories. The you know, the technical, the ability to go out and and do. You know, you'll you'll be in testing, and you'll turn around to a driver and say, okay. I want you to go out and do 15 laps in a row here, and I want them to all be at the, in this time interval. And they'll do it. Mm-hmm. Bang. You know, the good guy. And I'll tell you who the best was at that. The best guy I ever worked with for doing repetitive lap times was Anthony Davidson. I mean, that, car's driven, that guy's driven more laps of Barcelona than anybody. And he could just, you know, hit his number over and over and over again. And I, I don't know enough about the way these kids are brought up racing in some of the lower series in the US, but... I think you see some of the kids come through and they have great weekends and they have terrible mm-hmm. weekends. And, you know, and I know Takuma has had his, his off weekends, there's no doubt about it. But yeah. um, I some think guys when, just when have he's that in the in, groove. Yeah. Some guys just have yeah. that internal rhythm, you know, yeah. that, that they're doing. And I tell you, you talk about that. Some of the guys that I've that I've seen do it, I, 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 I've had to, back, back in early days, I'd, I'd go to a Goodyear tire test. And, mm-hmm. uh, go with guys and you'd be have guys like Terry Labonte and Tony Stewart. And those two guys could repeat the repeatability. They could yeah. go out and, and, and just turn lap after lap and they could come in. They could actually come in and tell you, tell me, and I'd prepare the tires. They would come in and tell me, tell me what stagger I had in the tires. They could tell yeah. me if it was a quarter inch or or five or three quarters of an inch, yeah. or what, and I mean, I thought, you know, I'm saying, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just remarkable the the feel and the the feel that they had. Oh yeah, yeah you know, the, the, other... the good guys are on another level. You yeah. don't realize what they can tell you. I mean, there's another thing about Jackie Stewart driving a, a road car a few years ago, and he said, you know, it's what when he was involved with his own team in the late '90s, and he turned around to his mechanics. It was at a sort of team building day, and he said, right. Take a quarter of a PSI out of one of these tires, and I'll tell you which one you've done it to. 
<laughs> it's a quarter yeah. of a PSI. I mean, it's right. nothing. And he was right every single time because they just have such an intuitive nature. And, and a lot of people don't realize the the level that these guys work at. It's until you get until you see a really good guy, a really, really, you know, top, top driver. You don't really get what they do because the public don't see it. You know, they don't look at lap times or sector times or splits and you right. know tire wear and stuff like that. They just don't appreciate it, and it's a real shame because I, I, I think it does need to be brought forward more. But um, you know, the guys have a natural yeah. talent, natural physical talent, seat of the pants talent to hustle a race car. But but you couple that with a real cerebral understanding of of the car and everything else. I mean, it, it's the, like you said, the good guys are just unmatched. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, pretty special. Yeah, the interesting thing is, like, so we're talking, we go from Coda last week, where we had the youngest winner ever, mm-hmm. right? He goes, and well, he went now, from first and, to and, last, didn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah. But, but look at the podium from uh, Barber. You got three of the oldest yeah. guys out there, right? You know, mm-hmm. Takuma's the yeah. second oldest guy. Uh, the only older guy that Takuma is, uh, you know, uh, Tony Kanaan. Um, Dixon, Dixon was the was the young guy on the podium. The other one was Bourdais. You know, Bourdais I thought, three, um, talking of uh, Tony Canaan, I thought he had a pretty rough weekend, didn't he? Eh, Tony's had a rough couple of years. He was he was Actually, bouncing yeah. off of every other car that got near him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Well, on a, on a side note, Larry Foyt, who had been the team manager there, is actually going to step back let somebody else assume that team manager role to see if they can improve their fortunes. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure who that is uh, because I don't have that article in front of me. But, uh, you know, the, the Foy team has – what was the last time they won a race? Oh, Takuma Sato. Takuma Sato, yeah. <laughs> Long, Long, Long Beach 2013. Um, they, they brought Tony on. Uh, they brought uh, Matthias Leist in there. Um, they they are sadly well, lost uh, some yeah. race weekends. I think so. a lot of it is 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 cubic dollars too. I don't think they have the money uh, that um, that's that the Ganassis and the Penskis and the Andrettis and and and, and them have too. So uh, you know we, we see that in NASCAR all the time too. So basically, I think that's that they're deficient on that and that and of course we all know that that. That doesn't allow you to bring in some of the necessary people that you need to have to to step your game up too. So I think that's that's one of the problems that uh, AJ Ford Racing sir, has sir, too. Part of it, yeah, but but at the same time, I know that the uh, you know Hardy Steinbrenner team doesn't have quite the budget of the Penske's, and neither does the Rayo Letterman team. And those guys won the last two races. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I, I think that maybe Larry Foyt stepping back out of a um, you know, a, a trolling role to an administrative role and getting somebody else in there, it, it, it may be helpful for the team. I, I yeah. don't know. We'll have to see, but it's epic to see uh, a guy like Tony Kanaan, who's probably got a lot of good years left in him. Yeah, I mean, the dude is the oldest guy in the series, but he is fit as, as you could imagine. You know, yeah. I, I, I think he's, uh, he can still drive top of the game, just they're not the equipment that needs to work for so. But I digress. So, well, I mean, too, and too, you, you get the point too that there that there's the, the number of rides now is limited for a guy like with Tony with all these young guys coming in too. So you know that's 
that's another another part of the conundrum he faces. Uh, oh, certainly, yeah, too. yeah. But, but, but fourteen brought him on to help raise their team to the next level, mm-hmm. and so uh, they've just got to pull out all the stops there to see what, what you know what what sticks. I guess, well, let me ask you right? this before we move on to talk about Long Beach and we talk uh, about other IndyCar news. What is the, uh, I mean, I know it's still early yet, but what are we still looking at entries for the 500? How, uh, how many cars? I There are at least 33 confirmed, mm-hmm. uh, which means the field is full. Um, and with another three to four, um, so there will be as many. Be, it be, could be, be 35 be, to 40 be, cars there. Well, I don't know if we're going to get to 40. I would say 36 is the high. Yeah. Uh, but there, there's going to be yeah, two to three cars getting bumped. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. Well, that's, and, of course, you you run the risk of bumping a series regular, which we saw last year when uh, Hinchcliffe had to sit on the sidelines. So. Yeah, but that's part of it. I mean, you know, that, that adds to the drama and adds to the thing. I mean, I wish NASCAR had never gone to some of the things that they did years ago when when they went to guaranteed spots and things like that. And I understand why they did it. They wanted to uh, make the fans wanted to make sure their guy was in it. But I tell you what, it adds to the drama. It adds to the overall, you know, to the the overall uh, uh, specter of the race and how important it is uh, when, when you don't, when you don't have these guaranteed spots in it and you really got guys, you know, pulling out the stops to, to, to make the show. You know, we saw what, Years ago, when when I guess what Al Unser and uh, several cars, the Penske cars didn't make uh, didn't make the five. We got bumped out. When was that, Frank? That's been 1995. Yeah, that's the that's year been... after they won the thing. Yeah, was that was shocking. Year... <laughs> it was the year after they won in yeah. dominant style with the Mercedes pushrod engine, mm-hmm. and then then they could not get up to speed, and and Al Unser Jr. and Emerson Fittipaldi missed the race. And then the following year was the split, so Pesky wasn't back in India again until 2001. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, so. Uh, just talk about who we like at Long Beach. Uh, you know what? My gut feeling tells me Ryan hunter Ray wins at Long Beach. I don't know why. I just I just think that, but. Uh, you see what you got for dinner. It uh, could be, yeah, it could be. Mm. I, I actually haven't eaten today, so. Well, that might, that definitely might a gut too, feeling, then. So. <laughs> <laughs> Gray, who do you like for Long Beach? Whew. Uh, uh, you know, it's been a wild and wacky season so far with guys. You know, of course, New Garden had another good, another good run. But I don't, I don't, I'm like you. I don't like. Uh, yeah, I think your pick there with with Ryan's pretty good there because he's he's done well on street courses before. Uh, I, I'm going to look and say, okay, um, <sighs> Dixon. You know, I don't think Dixon has he ever won Long Beach. Uh, 2015. 2015. Okay. He won, yeah, he's won one in Long Beach. Yep, and it was a long time coming too. Yeah. That, that that was one of his bucket list things. Yep. Gonna... And the other two, the other two, uh, ever won are, are Barber and uh, St. Pete. Yeah. I'm gonna say Dixon, but watch somebody like. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais come in and, and steal the thunder. I mean, that, and that's how unpredictable IndyCar is right now. You, you know, yeah, it's, it's got, been, we're, we're, we're three races in. We have three different winners, mm-hmm. three different teams. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, and right, and I guess, you know, and, 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 I, and Will, I mean, you know, goodness gracious, he's quick every week. But, I mean, he's he just something befalls that team, him or that team. So it's kind of 
it's kind of hard. And I still haven't seen Pagano put together a, mm. a, a good strong run yet either. You know, of course. I think he's in a bit of danger, isn't he? If he doesn't step up this season, uh, that's what they say. Yeah, I, I don't know. He hasn't been. I mean, he hasn't. I mean, the last two seasons he's been pretty mediocre at best, doesn't he? After he won the but championship, yeah, yeah, won, won the championship in sixteen, and then I think seventeen he won one race. He went winless last year. Yeah, yeah, he, he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it's not good. In, not it's, you know, it's not bad, but it's not Penske good. You know. Yeah, and, and let's not talk Penske, about. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about Takuma's teammate, Graham Rahal. He had a good run going at Barber before before mechanical issues uh, got him. You know, too. He he could have. They could have actually swept the uh, uh, swept the front row and and could. Well, I don't know if they swept front row and qualified, but they could have conceivably had a one-two finish if if had not been for some uh, some issues there. So Graham Rahal certainly, could. Certainly, uh, yeah, could Graham does great on the street courses. Yeah. Yeah. So. So Seth, you've been quiet. So who do you like for Long Beach? Honestly, Felix Rosenquist. Okay, yeah, he's Ooh. been knocking on the door of breaking through. He really has. He hasn't had the luck, uh, but but he's been quick. So that, that that's that's a good pick, Seth. Who do you like, Frank? Uh, Ryan Hunter Ray. That's right. You already said that. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've ignored you all night long. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, guys, we got about nine minutes left, and Seth, let's have a conversation about Richard's friend Jacques Villeneuve. Yes, uh, Jacques Villeneuve, the former F1 champion, uh, driver in multiple, multiple uh, racing series. He's going to be a rookie once again in the NASCAR Whaling Euro Series, which starts back up this weekend. He's running full-time. Uh, it's a nine-race schedule, and they start off in Valencia, Spain. Uh, Seth, for the, for the for for our listeners out there, tell us what a NASCAR Euro car is, what what it consists of, what, what kind of what, – what, what are they racing? Uh, it's very similar to what they race – up north in Canada in the Pinty series. Uh, general tires, uh, they have the Chevrolet SS bodies. They have Ford Mustangs. Uh, I believe they also have uh, Toyota Camrys, which is what, if I remember correctly, Alonde won the championship with Kind of like a super, super late model chassis, something like that? Something along those lines. It's okay. more... It's more comparable to what the uh, Pinty series uses. Okay. Uh, which the Pinty series is based off of the old cast car bodies, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And so now, so now Villeneuve is in this series as a rookie. Driving right? for Go Fast Racing. Which now, is it's kind of funny. But you, you talk about a guy who's won the Indy 500, the IndyCar Championship, and the Formula One World Championship. So, yeah, now you're a rookie. Yes. And he's made several forays in the stock car racing over the years. In fact, he made uh, he made several starts with Bill Davis Racing when I was there. In, and Team Penske. And, and a Bill Davis truck. And we attempted a, attempted a Daytona 500 uh, uh, effort uh, 
back in 2000, I forget what the year it was, uh, I crewed the car, but I can't remember what year it was. It might have been 2009 or 2010. No, it was, it was, it was, it was before that because Bill Davis uh, sold his operation in 2008, so it was... Okay. It was. It was. Pro, it was. It was. Prior I'm thinking of when he. Yeah, it's 2008. I'm thinking of when he. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm yeah, thinking we, when we, he attempted Bill with Davis the Yeah, we attempted. We attempted a day. Like I said, we attempted a Daytona 500. He ran several truck races with uh, with Bill Davis with Bill Davis in the in the Toyota uh, thing too. So, yeah, I mean he's he's done he's done a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, of course he, we we remember him most of his NASCAR stuff from where he drove. Uh, you know Penske's uh, 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 nationwide cars at Montreal and and, and was uh, America and and was very quick and actually you know put on a really good show uh, for the fans uh, each time he uh, he ran up there. Although he didn't make any friends on track, no, he didn't make any friends, but he almost won <laughs> and, a couple of races. And uh, I think he turned most of the fan base against him. The one time he booted Danica from the lead at Road America. <laughs> oh gosh, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, they good on Jacques Villeneuve to be. Uh, how old, how old did we say he was? Forty eight. Forty eight today. Forty eight today is his birthday. So, uh, uh, you know, good on him to keep racing. So, Seth oh, says some. Well, let me ask some other guys, well known names, participating in that uh, that NASCAR Euro thing too. Who are who are they? Uh, yeah, Myatt Snyder. Uh, Last year's Truck Series Rookie of the Year will be competing full-time in the Elite 2 division. Uh, former Cup champion Bobby Labonte will be competing as well. Uh, Jennifer Joe Cobb, a regular in the Truck Series, will be competing. And Alande, who is the two-time defending champion, uh, is returning as well. Okay. Something bears watching later on as the year progresses. And- and all of their races are streamed live on YouTube and on fanschoice.tv. Okay. All right. So, like I said, we just got about a couple minutes left. So, I want to mention that Richard, your friend, Fred Alonzo, is uh, <laughs> dri- driving his uh, IndyCar around the Texas Motor Speedway. And they, they announced the, uh, the they. Uh, you know, put out the picture of the livery, which is the papaya and blue car, which is kind of reminiscent of the old Mormon meteor from the 40s. Um, but uh, it's just a good-looking car. And so he ran some laps around Texas uh, in a test. Um, Richard, you hear anything out of that or other than um, a little tricky? Yeah, the word he used was, um, yeah, trickier. He expects the Indy cars to be trickier. Um I mean, you know, the, the guy's history, you know, he jumped into that car, what, two years ago, with a, albeit a slightly air, different aero kit, and was pretty damn fast, wasn't he? So I don't think um, he's, uh, I think he's going to be there or thereabouts come, um, you know, the month of May. But, um, but do you yeah, think, I mean, it's just, I mean, last time, I think, you know, I think this, he was sorry? with the Andretti team, right? Yeah. And I think this is the well, biggest thing for this he, week. This week in Texas is probably going to be more actually beneficial to the team members working with him because they're McLaren team members with Carl in support rather than Andretti mm-hmm. team members. So I think they're going to be the guys that potentially are going to um, gain more information 
um, you know, from this week than, than the driver himself. More an operational side of things. Yeah, are they planning a run at Texas thing. later in the year? Are they going to race? No, are they no, going to? No, they're not. No, they 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 just read at Texas to uh, okay get get him some uh, overlaps ahead of okay. the ahead of the overtest in Indianapolis and next month because he will have to go through rookie orientation and all that sort of stuff. So he's probably actually he probably want to do that to get more laps back in it, but. Uh, yeah, but my, my question to you, Richard, with, with we have a minute left, is uh, I do feel like the, the McLaren effort is going to be the, you know, you think they're going to be right up there along line with the, the Penske's, the Ganaskis, the Andretti's? Yes. Yes? Okay. Yeah. All right. McLaren, you know, despite all their pro- troubles in recent years in Formula One, Formula One and IndyCar is a different beast, you know, and that's not detracting anything from IndyCar in any stretch of the imagination. But I think it would be far, you know, I think Alonso is more likely to win the Indy 500 than McLaren or to win a Formula One race in the next three years, to be honest. Because the level that everybody's working at in Formula One is such a different level. And you know, the money is so great that it's a lot, lot harder to, to make those incremental steps in, in, in Formula 1 than it is IndyCar. And so that's not being detrimental to IndyCar. It's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, All I, think, right. I mean, they'll have, they'll, have challenge, they have a, they'll have a few challenges for things that are new and different from them. That they, but I think overall, from a technical standpoint, they'll be on top of their car. You know, there may be yeah. some, some other things that, that, you know, they'll encounter just that are that are nuances to oval racing and nuances just to IndyCar, the pit stops, the things like that 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 they'll have to uh, to work on. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, as I, I say, that's where I think they'll benefit this weekend is from yeah. things like that. You know, I'm sure they've yeah. done pit stop practices. And exactly, and it's a good thing that they're doing that. You know, prior to prior to the month of May, trying to yeah, you know, shake out the and, top you know, before they get there. Out of the um, you know, out of the 200 laps, whatever the Indy 500 is, how many laps are you running in free air? You know, so from, from Alonso's perspective, you know, this week is, is pretty limited. You know, he needs to be around cars and in the pack and, you know, mm. passing slower cars and seeing if he can take the high lines, you know, around corners and pass people on the outside and do all this sort of stuff. That's where he's going to, you know, he needs other cars around him. So this weekend is just familiarization and, 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 you know, get the team up to speed and make sure, you know, the seat's comfortable and the pedals are in the right position and, you know, just silly little things that you wouldn't really consider are an issue, but in the real world, they are for these guys. Right, but they'll save you time when you get to end. Oh, yeah. You won't, you won't have to, to back up and fix things when you can be working on, you know, getting speed out of your car. Exactly. exactly. All right, so on a bright note... Indianapolis 500 offers more practice than any other race in the world, and he'll be able to run with those other cars. So, But, guys, we are out of time. So I want to thank uh, you, Gray, Richard, Seth, all three of you guys. I want to thank Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio and Speaker. And I want to thank all you folks that tune in and listen to us. And until next week, good night. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-B-A-
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 